Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today, I'm going to speak with Dr. Amy Stein, who is a physical therapist at the forefront of treating pelvic floor dysfunction and pelvic pain, specializing in functional manual therapy for all people, including children. In addition to being the founder of Beyond Basics Physical Therapy in New York City, Dr. Stein has served as the president and is currently on the advisory board of the International Pelvic Pain Society. Dr. Stein also lectures internationally has been featured in documentaries, and interviewed on critically acclaimed TV shows like Dr. Oz, ABC's 2020, and Good Morning La La Land. Dr. Stein is also, in addition to all of that, an award-winning author. She wrote a book on pelvic pain called Heal Pelvic Pain, and she co-wrote a book on endometriosis called Beating Endo, How to Reclaim Your Life from Endometriosis. She's also created a video on pelvic pain called Healing Pelvic Pain and Abdominal Pain. Recently, Dr. Stein founded her own line of healing CBD products called Wellness X Nature that aims to further assist and inspire those on their mission to good health and healing. Dr. Stein is a tireless educator and advocate, working closely with patients, caregivers, and healthcare providers everywhere to raise awareness so that more people can get the care that they need. We are so thrilled to have Dr. Stein on the show with us today. We thank her for joining us and doing this interview, and we hope that you enjoy it. Hi, Dr. Stein. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. We really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be on your show. As you know, our podcast is about endometriosis, and this episode is about the pelvic floor and pelvic floor physical therapy, which is recommended for people with endometriosis. I would love if we could really just go to the basics and talk about what exactly is our pelvic floor. Sure. So I do want to start with, it's never too late to start pelvic floor physical therapy. And it's also, if you're experiencing pain and aren't sure which route to go with regard to surgery or not, it's also never too early to start physical therapy because most of the time, especially with a condition like endo, there are musculoskeletal issues going on. And although we can't treat the actual endo, we could treat a lot of the pain generators that are caused by the endometriosis and caused by also the, um, when you are in pain, a lot of times the reaction of the body is to tense up or to curl up in a ball. So the muscles react, can react that way too. So we, even with that, we educate patients on how to relax those areas and how not to get in that sort of fight or flight uh, state. I know I just went into a different tangent (laughs) of the body, but we could talk about, you know, 
fight or flight and sympathetic <laughs> response as well later. But back to the anatomy. So the pelvic floor is really important in the body. It's part of your core. It connects from your pubic bone in the front to your tailbone in the back and out to the sides to your hip area. And the function of the pelvic floor is it helps with bladder, bowel, sexual function and continence. And it also supports your core and helps with stability and mobility. So it is a balance of the body, the pelvic floor being at the bottom, your abdominal muscles being in the front of the body and the back muscles being in the back, as well as your diaphragm. So it basically makes up a canister. And if there's an imbalance in any of those areas, even diaphragm, pelvic floor, abdominal muscles, or the deep back muscles, then it could cause an imbalance in other areas. It can cause tightness in certain areas and weakness in others. Typically, we see a combination of the two. So what happens with our patients is if the pelvic floor is dysfunctional, what we see is that it can affect bladder, bowel, and sexual health. So bladder, bowel symptoms that we commonly hear and see in, our, in the PT physical therapy world is urinary or bowel, urgency, frequency, retention, incomplete emptying, also pain with urination or bowel movements. We do see an overlap, especially with endo, with irritable bowel and interstitial cystitis. There's been a lot of studies on the, the comorbidities of that and sexual dy dysfunction as well. So the pelvic floor muscles surround the, the genital area. So if there's dysfunction in those muscles, it can cause pain and or weakness feeling, an uncomfortable feeling. Some of our patients say that they feel like it's hitting, you know, during any type of penetration or any type of sexual activity, they feel like it's hitting their uterus or various areas that they, it's uncomfortable to them. And some of the times it's actually the muscles and or the nerves that are irritated and causing that feeling. So we do see a lot of referred pain as well that can mimic like uterine pain or ovarian pain. That was great. And I love all the tangents and I definitely want to go down the road of all the different tangents throughout, throughout the episode. Yeah. It's interesting because I mean, before I got diagnosed with endometriosis and like started hearing about pelvic floor physical therapy, I didn't even know that we had a pelvic floor. And I think a lot of people, we just don't realize that like, that's a really important area of the body. I want to ask you, is the pelvic floor like only the muscles or is the pelvic floor like everything, which is like muscles and tendon and ligaments, fascia, nerves, like is all of that considered the pelvic floor? Yeah, it's all considered the pelvic floor, part of the pelvic cavity. I do feel like some people define the pelvic floor more as the muscles, but it's really encompasses exactly what you said, the tendons, the nerves, the ligaments, the fascia, the connective tissue. And with endo and or surgery, the fascia gets disrupted because they have to, they do have to cut into the fascia to get to various areas. And that can, that alone can be a disruption in the abdominal pelvic cavity. What is the fascia? Can you explain briefly? 
Sure. Fascia is the connective tissue. It basically just keeps everything together. In most areas, it's, it's thin. So if there's a disruption, we relate it to, uh, to saran wrap. If you twist a piece of saran wrap, it kind of affects the whole, the whole piece of the saran wrap. That's kind of how fascia is. It's real thin. And if you were to, to twist the fascia in a way, then it can pull on the areas that it's trying to keep together and supportive. So it does surround the organs as well. It surrounds the muscles, the nerves, the ligaments, the bones. So it connects everything and tries to keep everything together. Sounds like it has an important job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay. So I looked up a little bit about pelvic floor physical therapy. I mean, I wanted to ask you basically like what it is. I'll tell you like some of the things that I came across. It said pelvic floor physical therapy can include manual therapy, biofeedback, trigger point release. I have no idea what any of those are. I mean, I can intuitively guess breathing exercises, connective and scar tissue mobilization, posture correction, and more. And it can involve internal as well as external work. And of course, the therapist will get your consent before doing any internal work. And then there are also wands and other tools. There are stretches and techniques that your therapist can show you how to use at home to continue working on your pelvic floor. So I wanted to ask you, can you expand on any of that? Does that seem like an accurate summary of what pelvic floor physical therapy is? Can you add to that? Sure. Yeah, definitely. That's, that does sum it up for the most part. It should be a head-to-toe evaluation and treatment by the physical therapist. Not all physical therapists have the same training. So that is something that I always tell patients to be aware of, that if they are looking for a pelvic floor physical therapist, they should inquire what exactly they do. And ideally, a lot of what you said, Amy, is what they should be doing. But then also another good question is how how often are they seeing and treating patients with endometriosis or patients with IC irritable bowel or pelvic pain? That's a really important question to ask if you're looking for a pelvic floor physical therapist. But so back to what you asked, yes, it's some, you summarized it all pretty well. Some patients need more of one thing than another. I find with patients with endometriosis that you more often do need more manual work, whether it's visceral mobilization and visceral mobilization is more working on the organs and making sure they're moving well. It doesn't require a lot of deep tissue or heavy hand for visceral. It's more of a gentle um, mobilization because the organs are supposed to move freely in the abdominal cavity. What we find with our patients with or without surgery, that a lot of times there's restrictions in those organs, and we can help to improve those restrictions to help their symptoms improve. Again, we can't treat the actual endometriosis, but we could treat a lot of the symptoms that go along with it. And of course, the musculoskeletal system. Trigger points is more into the muscle, like trying to calm the muscles down. So I explained to patients, you have to treat the pelvic floor similar to how you treat neck pain. We have to work on getting the, the kinks out 
of the neck area. We have to work on posture because I can do massage for 10 hours a week for you. But if you go home and you sit in front of your computer and you're leaning forward, or if you're using your phone um, with your ear to your shoulder all the time, you're, you're throwing those kinks off still. So posture is really important. Home program is extremely important as well. Again, because you're typically only coming to PT for one or two hours a week. And what are you doing the rest of the time? One important thing to note is that we don't want to overwhelm our patients. And we do know that a lot of patients have a lot going on. So we ask them, what amount of time can you commit to a home program? And then we try to prioritize which are the most important exercises. And when I say exercises, it could just be a breathing exercise. It could be a yoga pose that helps to calm your nervous system down. I spoke earlier about the fight or flight. It's really important when you're in pain to try to calm that fight or flight response. So your home program could be doing some breathing exercises, trying to relax the pelvic floor by visual, with visualization. Or another technique I use for patients is that feeling when you're going to the, when you really have to go to the bathroom and you finally go that kind of ah feeling of releasing. That's the feeling we want to mimic throughout the day. That could be your home program, just the breathing, the pelvic floor relaxation, the yoga pose that works for you. Another really important thing for our patients is you want to do what they're, they like to do and what they're going to commit to. If I tell you to, you know, you should run three miles a day just to get the blood flowing, which is good. I mean, endorphins, whatever, but if you're not a runner, I'm not going to have you do that. If you're into yoga or if you, your goal is Pilates, Pilates is great as well. But if you do have trigger points in your abdominal wall, your pelvic floor, we need to make sure you're not activating the trigger points and you're not creating discomfort when you're doing exercise. So exercise is so important. And we talk a lot also about fear avoidance and not avoiding exercise because you're afraid to. So we walk patients through that as well, which exercises feel okay, which do we need to modify, as well as the manual therapy that you mentioned, and with consent and with comfort of the patient. So if a patient is feeling like, ooh, I don't really want to do the internal right now or right away, okay, there's so many other techniques that we could do that can help to alleviate pain and restrictions. Ideally, with endometriosis and anything that really affects the pelvic floor, we do want to assess the pelvic floor muscles at some point and sooner rather than later. And a question that we do get is, it sounds scary, but it's actually not that scary. It's not that intimidating at all. And again, we work with the patient on it. So if very light touch is still not tolerable for the patient, then let's move to a different area. Let's work on a different area. But it is really important to, like I said, the head to toe approach, really looking at the muscles in the abdomen, the back, the legs, the pelvic floor as well, and incorporating everything that you said together. It is a lot. It can be a lot. So step-by-step step for each, each process. And 
really the PT should really be honing in on what's most important right now for, for you, because what works for you may not work for someone else. So that's important to note as well. I think it can feel really scary and intimidating for patients before they do public floor physical therapy. Like I kind of, before I really understood what it was, I kind of had this idea that I was just going to go in there and they were just going to be like, kind of like massaging my abdomen, you know, the whole time. And then the more that I learned about public floor physical therapy, it's really like a full body approach is what I was getting from what you were saying. And I've also heard a lot of pelvic floor physical therapists talk about how it's really good for things. Like you said, getting out of fight or flight, um, relaxing the or downregulating the autonomic nervous system, downregulating central sensitization, which is all really important for patients with, you know, chronic pain conditions, interstitial cystitis, endometriosis, and things like that. I would love if we could talk for a minute about how pelvic floor physical therapy can help the fight or flight response or something like central sensitization and why that is important in our treatment. So it is important to address, again, as we mentioned before, the body as a whole. And what we find is that if you only address one area or if you only do manual therapy on the abdomen and the pelvic floor, but the patient is scared to do exercise or is going into that fight or flight response throughout the day, we really need to work on that as well because that fight or flight response keeps your nervous system sensitized. Any area that there's a sensitivity or an impairment, it hones in on that area in a sense because your body's already in fight or flight and sensitized. So we need to downregulate the system as a whole. So what PT can do is if you think about it as peeling away layers of onion. So diet can help to downregulate the system because if you're drinking caffeine and uh, citrusy products and that's irritating your bladder, then that keeps the whole response going as well. So we want to eliminate and not saying that caffeine affects everyone. That's another thing you have to make sure because some people drink a cup of coffee and they're completely fine. And then some people can't have any wine or any citrusy, any irritants, but others can. So it's really important too to make sure that you're individualizing the care. But you do have to work on each system that is sensitized or that is contributing to this upregulation. So diet is one that with most of our patients that we see that we need to help guide with. We aren't nutritionists, but we do know a lot about gluten-free, dairy-free, hormonal changes that are happening, and that we can, if we need to, we refer out because, again, we are limited in our dietary training. But then also as a PT, we need to peel away the layers of onion of the musculoskeletal system. So even if you're having, if you're, if you have an endometriosis and you're having knee pain for some reason, well, we need to calm the knee pain down too, because otherwise your whole system will keep, it'll keep going in a vicious circle. And we really need to break down that circle so that you are feeling better. And it takes time. 
And for endometriosis patients, you are working more typically on the abdominal pelvic cavity, but also not neglecting that knee that may be irritated, that just isn't allowing you to, to walk or, or pick up things. And you're feeling restricted from that. The nerves are all sensitized there as well as in the abdominal area. So working on that. And then techniques that we use are one of the first things that I teach any patient is proper deep breathing exercises. Cause I can't tell you how many patients do come in that when I tell them to take a deep breath, they start hyperventilating and I'm like, no, let's start. Let's, let's try that again. So we walk through ideally the slow inhale for four seconds, the pause at the top, and then the slow exhale for five to six seconds and the pause at the bottom, making sure that the whole rib cage is opening. These are little techniques that a PT can teach and show and work on with a patient that can help to downregulate the system. So breathing is one technique, again, that I teach right, my patients right away. Certain things like yoga, tai chi, meditation, that's also something that we encourage our patients to help with that down-regulating of the system. It's really interesting because I had excision surgery four years ago and I I feel it was very successful in my own case. And I had a huge reduction in my endometriosis symptoms. And since excision, I've really been working on what you've been talking about, which is the down-regulation of my autonomic nervous system, my central sensitization, getting out of that fear avoidance and pain and how like those two feed into each other that you have fear and then you have pain. And then because you have pain, you have fear and then you have pain. And I've also been working on my deep breathing. I've been using the app Curable and other doing a lot of Qigong and other practices. And it has made a huge, huge difference in the way that I feel. You know, I definitely saw like I said, a big reduction post-excision, but I still had uh, the interstitial cystitis symptoms and the fibromyalgia symptoms. But in the last four years of like really devoting myself to working on learning to like be in a, in a state of safety and not be in like a amped up state of fight or flight, which I realized that I've been living in for like 20 years, just because of, you know, my pain, all the trauma, the medical trauma, like all of that. And just like really calming down my body, like so many of my other symptoms, my fibromyalgia, my full body pain, my interstitial cystitis has practically disappeared. And it's just been really, it's been really surprising, but it's also, I think, you know, I read the IC solution by Dr. Nicole Cousine. I'm not sure if you read that, but she's also a pelvic floor physical therapist. And she talks at great length about pelvic floor physical therapy and the treatment of IC and how it's successful for the, for the majority of patients due to the, the pelvic floor dysfunction aspect and also the upregulation of the autonomic nervous system. And yeah, I think that at least in my own case at the beginning, like I just really didn't put a lot of emphasis on like my fight or flight response. Cause it's that eye roll, like, yeah, yeah, it's stress. And of course, so many of us patients we've been told and brushed off, like it's stress, it's anxiety, and it's not, it's, you know, it's endometriosis, it's interstitial cystitis, it's pelvic floor dysfunction and things like that. So it can be really hard to just be like, okay, today to try to, as part of my holistic approach of like healing and trying to improve my symptoms, my quality of life, I'm just going to sit and learn deep breathing. 
And it kind of like goes against, especially if you're like a type A person like me, you're like, no, I have to be like doing something to be healing. And it was just really interesting to see that like so much of my healing in the past four years has come from me just like learning to truly calm down, to truly relax and to get in that place of safety so that my actual body can relax and like stop being on high alert and then stop, you know, having those sensitizations. So thank you for bringing all of that up because I, I think it is really important. I think we're hearing more about that within our community. Yeah. Interestingly, I've all, we've, we've also seen uh, an uptick in, at least in our practice in New York city of GI issues. And I, I have a feeling this is a theory, but you're in your GI depends on your parasympathetic or the calming of your nervous system. And that because of COVID, I feel like a lot of patients have been more in the sympathetic protective mode and that dysregulates your GI system because you're not relaxing and allowing everything to digest. Parasympathetic is rest and digest. And that's important to note to patients too, that your, your GI, your constipation can get worse when you're in that constant sympathetic fight or flight. Yeah. And it's really easy to be in it, isn't it? It's really, it's just really easy to be in fight or flight because of, you know, your pain, your symptoms, going to doctor's appointments. Like there's just, there's like a million stressors in the modern day life. And then add on another million stressors, you know, when having endometriosis or many of us listening have multiple chronic co-conditions that, and they're painful conditions and, you know, put that all together. And it's just like this explosion of being in fight or flight or like being amped up because I mean, it just kind of, for me, it became like my state of being without even realizing it. Dr. Stein, I've heard you talk about how there are these septuplets of pelvic pain. I think many of us have heard of like, quote unquote, the evil twins, which I think was coined by Dr. Maurice Chung, which is endometriosis and interstitial cystitis. So they're just like two common conditions. Actually, I have both of them, two common conditions that people can have, you know, and they also have overlapping symptoms, but I've heard you talk about there are multiple reasons for chronic pelvic pain. And I've heard you mention before the septuplets of pelvic pain. So I was just wondering, can you tell us what they are? Sure. Yeah, definitely. The, what you mentioned, Dr. Chung spoke about and research on um, endometriosis and IC, but there's also pelvic floor dysfunction, irritable bowel syndrome, vulvodynia, fibromyalgia and TMJ there and I believe in chronic fatigue syndrome. Those are also, they are finding that there's a overlap with those as well. Interestingly, that was, I heard someone actually the, one of the founders of the International Public Pain Society, he was the person I heard that from. And that was very eye-opening to me. This is like 20 years ago. And I started thinking about it and I was like, oh, and, but over the years it's developed. And in a sense that we're really honing in on like why that's happening and what specifically I do feel like the central nervous system comes into play a lot when you get two or more of the comorbidities because your body's in that fight or flight, it's trying to figure out what's going on. And we do need to 
again, peel away the layers of onion, but also calm that nervous system, reassure patients that there is help out there. It was slim 20 years ago, but now there's so much more that we know and we understand. And again, that full body approach is, is key. If you keep eating gluten or dairy and your body's just like, no, I don't, you know, it's responding and it's trying to focus on that, then other areas of your body can't heal as well. So really honing in again on what, what the patient's needs are. And with regard to the septuplets, a lot of it is the musculoskeletal system that's getting affected by this. But again, also the central nervous system it is upregulated, so everything is enhanced. So taking away those, like addressing each area is really important. There is also a correlation between jaw pain and pelvic pain as well. So the thought is that when you're tensing the jaw, you could also be tensing your diaphragm and you could also be tensing the pelvic floor all at the same time. Not with everyone again, but we have seen a correlation with that with, with our patients. So each area is a diaphragm or makes up like a dome. And if one dome is tightened, then it's kind of like a, a vicious cycle. But again, the vicious cycle can be broken. We just have to figure out what works best for the patient and what areas to focus on first. Because like you mentioned earlier, it can be so overwhelming for the patient. Like, which way do I turn? And one thing that I do talk about a lot when I do talks is having a quarterback and having a physician or a PT or your mental health care provider or an OT or whoever you can really work with to try to direct you in the right way so that you feel like you are making positive gains and not just going backwards with your symptoms. Also feeling comfortable with the healthcare providers that you are seeing and they need to listen. They need to trust what you're saying. And if you don't feel that trust and that, that they're listening, really listening to you, then it is time to look for a different provider. So that alone, I've seen upregulate my patients too. They're just, they're scared to go to healthcare providers because they're not really listening to them. They're not hearing them. So that's another really important thing to give yourself credit for that you may need to look for another healthcare provider that works better with, with you and what's going on with you specifically. I think what's interesting about the subtuplets of pain, of pelvic pain, but also just our talk in general is that, I mean, first it just really shows that like, it really is a puzzle or like a Rubik's cube, you know, dealing with pelvic pain and pain in general, I think. And it's really individualized to the person. So, you know, like you said, what I need might not be what someone else needs. And I also think that there are multiple pain generators that could be within a person with endometriosis. I mean, even I saw that myself post-excision, like a lot of my pain went away and now I can see that that was endometriosis related pain but a lot of my pain stayed because that actually wasn't pain from my endometriosis. That was pain from my interstitial cystitis or my fibromyalgia. And, you know, which luckily I've been able to reduce over this past couple of years. And I think that there's just so many ways that we can start addressing the health in our body. And I think that's really, it's really wonderful. It's also really overwhelming, but what we really try to do with this podcast and even with this episode is offer people hope because 
sometimes we're just so we are, are dealing with such pain for such a long time. And it can be like, I've tried everything or where do I start? And it can feel like all the options ran out, but, you know, hopefully we can just keep chipping away little by little. And I definitely know my own case, like 20 years ago, I mean, I started having pain 20 years ago and, and it's taken 20 years, but I'm like, I'm chronic pain free. I'm not pain free every single day, depending on the food that I have or how much I've slept or there's multiple factors, but like, I'm finally out of chronic pelvic pain. And I, you know, 10 years ago, I I didn't even think that would be possible. And it's not from any one thing that I did. It's from like a whole bunch of things that I did. Some of the things were really big, like excision surgery, but some of the things were really small. Like you said, learning how to do deep breathing and just learning to find a feeling of safety in my body, which was actually really, you know, which is actually a really big step and, and quite hard to do. So I know we've already talked about this somewhat, but I just want to really like directly ask you, how have you seen that pelvic floor physical therapy can help patients with endometriosis? I have seen it help most patients. I would say majority, obviously the patients that come to us, most of the physicians think that the PT will help be helpful. Also in our book, Beating Endo, we talk about how important it is at least to get an evaluation pre-surgical if you are deciding on surgically as well as post-surgical, because even pre-surgery, going into a surgery ideally with as optimized of a condition, you know, a body that you can have, meaning you're eating healthier and, and you've seen a PT to work on the areas and the trigger points, uh, the tightness areas. If you do that prior to surgery, typically the outcomes post-surgery are actually better. I'm not sure if there's exact uh, study on that, but what we've seen that with patients, as we teach them, if they are deciding on surgery again, certain postures too, not straining, not getting constipated, learning how to do the deep breathing prior so that when you do come out of surgery, of course you just had surgery. So knowing how to deal with any discomforts that you're feeling during post-surgical so that you can optimize your healing process as best as possible as well. So really for any, any abdominal pelvic surgery, we would love to see all the patients prior so we can teach them how to optimize their, their postures, how to optimize the pelvic floor health, different things like that, so that the goals pro-surgical are, are reached uh, quicker. But if even if the patient hasn't seen a PT prior, post-surgical, it can help with any scar tissue. It can help with the mobility of the tissue and ideally seeing the patient within the first six months because scar tissue does adhese down. But in the first eight to 10 weeks up to six months is the optimal time to get the mobility in the scar area or any restricted area for that matter. So that's something that the PT can help with. Educating the patient again on even just behavioral modifications, not going, especially if you have, so for the bladder, if if you have interstitialitis or any bladder symptoms, teaching the patient not to go just in case, 
giving them breathing exercises to try to calm the urgency that they're feeling, which also activates your nervous system, your central nervous system, giving them those strategies to help calm the bladder, teaching the patient that your body, your bladder can hold up to two cups of liquid. So do you really have to go 10 minutes after you just went to the bathroom? Probably not, unless you're not completely emptying the bladder. So working with the patient on, on techniques to help empty the bladder. Certain one thing that I keep teaching and that I keep hearing uh, less and less, but Kegels, Kegels are not always the answer for pain. Uh, typically it's not the answer because it actually tightens the tissue and muscles more. Getting blood flow to the area is extremely important. So teaching the patient to do just general physical activity, but within their own ability. So I've had patients that can't even walk across uh, their living room floor. So trying to make that a goal, doing it a couple times a day versus, okay, now, you know, go out and walk for 20 minutes. So making sure that they're moving, um, that's something that we educate on, as well as pain science, that you can actually decrease pain pathways and calm pain pathways through certain techniques like deep breathing exercises, like Qigong, what you mentioned, learning how to calm your nervous system and your system down, finding that safety, as you mentioned, in your body so that you could feel like you can heal and that you have the power to, to heal yourself. So the pain science is also extremely important with any chronic condition, any chronic pain condition as well. I hope I summarized that. That was a lot. That was great. I also, well, a couple of things that, you know, like you said, it's never too late. I mean, I'm already four years post-excision, but I still a hundred percent plan on getting pelvic floor physical therapy, hopefully in the next year. So it's just never too late. And also about the pain science. Yeah, I totally agree. First of all, pain science is fascinating. And second, you know, I think understanding how pain works in the body, how the brain can learn pain and how we can like, you know, have pain, quote unquote, pain memory. And it's just really interesting. And I've definitely been working with the Curable app and that's not everyone's cup of tea, but that has really, really helped me. And just want to say to listeners that I have a huge series coming up on pain science that I'm really excited about. So that's going to come out. I have a bunch of other series coming first, like interstitial cystitis. Like I have a bunch of series coming up, but the pain series is huge. It's like a 10 episodes just about like pain science and all these different biopsychosocial aspects of pain. So I'm just really excited about that. That's great. Yeah. And that's also something that I've learned over the years. So again, I started doing this over 20 years ago and it's been a learning process for me as well. When I first started, I was like, oh, I got to address the muscles and the tissues and oh yeah, there's the rest of the body. Like we got to address that too. So whether it's the fear avoidance that the patient may have, whether it's that they feel like they're never going to get better. So teaching the patient that they can and they, they will, but also if there is a teaching them about pain science can be extremely helpful. And that's, these are all things that I've learned and I've added to my own tool toolbox for helping patients. 
because it has been a learning experience, I think, for the entire medical field with regard to endometriosis and really any pelvic pain condition. And by the way, May is Pelvic Pain Awareness Month, so hopefully you're doing some of the pain science episodes in May. So many of us with endometriosis, we have symptoms with our bowel, our bladder. We also have dysfunction when it comes to sexual relations. Things like penetration can be painful. I thought it was really interesting that pelvic floor physical therapy can potentially help with all of those symptoms, which of course, now that I think about it makes sense because, you know, as we said, the pelvic floor is like that container of Uh, these vital organs, like the bladder and the bowels. I read in the book by Dr. Nicole Cosine, the IC solution. She said that the only treatment that is given an evidence strength grade A by the American Urologic Association is manual physical therapy. And that studies have shown that about 90% of people with IC have pelvic floor dysfunction. And I just thought that was just really really interesting, something that I could have been useful to know, like 15 years ago when my icy symptoms, frequency, urgency, pain were just like totally out of control and I couldn't even leave my house. But I just think it's the more that I learn about the pelvic floor and the role that it plays in all of these bodily functions and our pain, even things like for so long, I wanted to know why did I have stabbing vagina pains, you know, and then I learned more about pelvic floor physical therapy. Because when you tell someone who doesn't know, and you're like, oh yeah, sometimes I just have like stabbing pains in my vagina. Or like sometimes after I have intercourse and I have an orgasm, it's like my clitoris just like starts hurting. Like, it's just like real, it like throbs. And I have to like hold my vagina with my hands and just like lay in bed for like an hour and be like, it's okay. It's okay. And it's just like, when you, when you tell someone that kind of stuff, they just look at you like, yeah, you're totally making that up. Like that's not a thing. And then the more that I like heard, have heard you in various podcasts that you've done and other pelvic floor physical therapists, it's like, it is so complex down there. And like things like, you know, vulva pain, the stab vagina pain, the clitoral pain, all of that could be from like nerves or the pedendal nerve or other nerves in the area. So I just, I think it's just really validating for us patients to know that all of this bladder, bowel, sexual dysfunction that we're having is very real. And, you know, if you have stabbing vagina pains or stabbing anus pains or stabbing whatever pains down there, that's all very, very real. And, you know, it could be that pelvic floor physical therapy could be one of those puzzle pieces that we need to try to either diminish or eradicate that kind of pain. Do you want to talk just for a minute about anything I just talked about? (laughs) We do see this a lot and you are correct. Some patients, they have it in the clitoral area, or you could have the stabbing pain in the vaginal area and the rectal area. Typically that is more often than not, it's a musculoskeletal issue that is going on. So typically it's either the muscles are really tight and restrictive and causing there's a trigger point or some restriction and tightness that's causing that pain. So I relate it to, again, what I mentioned earlier, the neck, if you have a trigger point in your, you know, upper trap, it can go, it can shoot down your, you know, down your back. 
So these are similar muscles where you can contract and relax them. You can control them, but you can also overuse them too. So that's something we teach as well as how to calm those muscles down and not overuse them. In the PT part of it, the pelvic floor PT, we do work on, we do work on those trigger points and trying to calm them down and trying to decrease that pain. We also, there could be some nerve irritation and whether it's from a muscle restricting the nerve or there's not enough blood flow getting to the nerve or the nerve is being compressed somewhere. And there's a lot of places it could be compressed, not just muscle. It could be compressed in ligament area from the from your sacroiliac joint, from a hip dysfunction or, and, or from endometrial surgery, there could be a restriction that's irritating a nerve, a nerve. So that is again, what pelvic floor physical therapy can help with. And again, what you mentioned earlier, how the muscles do surround the genital region, they do surround and support the abdominal pelvic organs. They surround the bladder, urethra. So if there's restrictions and tightness in that area, it's not allowing the easy flow of the urine to come out. It's not allowing the easy flow of the bowel to come out and or with sexual activity, the muscles are restricted and they're causing discomfort or pain. Or what happens with orgasm is how I describe it is orgasm is like running, basically running a marathon with the muscles. The orgasm causes the muscles to contract multiple times. So if there's restrictions in those muscles, the contraction is actually can make it more restricted. The positive thing is that that's what PT helps with. We try to get rid of those restrictions. And that, and that is also where the home program can be really important. If a patient does need to use a wand on a daily basis or after sexual activity, it can be extremely helpful as well. So there is a lot of a lot that we could do as PTs for any bladder bowel sexual dysfunction that's related to the musculoskeletal system. And then what we mentioned earlier, if there is sympathetic response, we have to work on that as well, because the body does want to tighten up. So again, it's that whole full body approach. You can't just address a lot of the patients. You can't just, just address the muscles or just address the nervous system through meditation, usually what we find the most effective is the combination with diet and exercise. But as we said earlier, it is an individualized care. So we have to figure out what works best for you. Ooh, I just cannot wait to get my pelvic floor physical therapy. Like I'm, I was like, oh, I really need it. But it was kind of like in the back of my mind, like, oh, I need it, which I knew I need it, but I, you know, wasn't really making it a priority. But now after we talk, I just really feel that I need to make it a priority because I do recognize that pelvic floor physical therapy is probably going to be very beneficial for a lot of these like lingering symptoms that I have, especially when things that I have in terms of pain with penetration and like tight muscles. And like I said, my clitoris throbbing and you know, also I use the diaphragm and like, after I put in the diaphragm, I, I don't know, I, it just feels really like not good down there. And then I have to like sit and like wait for like half an hour for like the whole area to calm down before I can even move forward with any kind of relations with my partner. And so I can just see in myself how 
I'm really missing that. That's like a piece of the puzzle that I'm, that I'm really missing. So yes, pelvic floor PT. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So now that, you know, I'm feeling really excited about pelvic floor physical therapy. Could you just tell us about a success story that you've seen with endometriosis in your practice? I have a lot of success stories for sure. I do have a patient that's an actor that was very vocal about her success story where she was diagnosed with endometriosis. She had excision surgery and she was from the get-go. I didn't see her prior, but I did see her like the week after her surgery because she was getting a lot of back pain from, you know, being compromised in her positioning from the surgery and how she was feeling afterwards. She was having leg pain. So all these things were going on a week after, which is not that uncommon. Fortunately, the physician felt comfortable also knowing me that she sent her within that first week to help with the back pain, to help with the leg pain. So that part of her central nervous system was able to calm down and relax to allow her to heal. She also, when I started working with her, she had already been doing a very clean diet for any clean meaning with regard to any pain and inflammation. She was working on dietary changes to help any pain and inflammation that she was experiencing in her body. So that has already been addressed. She was addressing the mindfulness as well at the same time as the PT. So again, with that combination, there was huge, huge success with this patient and there were bowel symptoms. There were some bladder symptoms and definitely some uh, pain with any penetration and sexual activity so that we had to address as well. And it was definitely, again, that combination of really also listening to your body and knowing what was too much and what was just the right amount, which is hard because figuring that out when you've been in so much pain for so long can be challenging, but getting moving is something that I address right away. And she was already in that, in the practice of, of yoga and different activities, even just post-op, even that first week trying to get moving, get walking. That's important. So, and one other positive, there's a lot of positive things about pelvic floor physical therapy, but one other positive thing that I do want to mention is that your physical therapist can help you, can help walk you through these phases and these stages. Again, whether you've had surgery or not, so that you feel comfortable knowing that, okay, now I can try a little bit of a jog and know that I'm not going to hurt myself. Or if I do have a bit of a flare, I know where to go and what to do. Or knowing that you can go back to Pilates safely. Yes, it may take some practice. It may take the right instructor, but knowing that that is a goal of yours and working towards that is really, and knowing that you have the support behind you, if for some reason there is a step backwards, but with most patients, it is steps for many steps forward. Yes, we do have a step or two backwards here and there, but knowing that we can move forward and and have you get to back to your, the things that you love doing. How long does it usually take for a patient to see improvement in their symptoms when they begin pelvic floor physical therapy? I'm assuming not like the first 
after the first appointment, but when is a reasonable amount of time that people could judge that, okay, this is working or this is not working? That's a great question. Again, with this particular patient that I don't no longer see, by the way, she, and it wasn't that long for her. Again, I think it was because she had prepped her body prior to surgery and then knew what to do after surgery. But even her first session when she walked in and mentioned was having, yes, she was having abdominal pain from the surgery, but she was also having back pain and leg pain. So I was able to help her right away with that, with those particular symptoms that she was feeling. But what I tell patients is within the first six to eight visits, you should see some change. Ideally before that, even within the first three to four visits, you should see some change. It may not be a huge change, but if your bladder frequency was 20 times a day, and now it's 16 to 18 times a day within that first three to four weeks, that's huge. If you were waking up three times a night to go to the bathroom, and now you're only waking up two, and a month later, you're only waking up one, those are all changes that we want to look at. If the bowels are improved, if your pain, maybe it was an eight out of 10 most of the day, but now it's a six out of 10 most of the day, that that's showing that you're in you're pointed in the right direction. Some patients, it does just take a couple months. Some pa- patients, it does take longer because you have to remember that a lot of the patients that we do see have had these symptoms for a very long time. So retraining, not just the muscles, but also retraining the brain so that you can, so that the pain pathways or the symptoms are reducing within the brain pathways and the central nervous system, as well as re-educating the muscles and the nerves on what we want them ideally to be doing, not tensing throughout the day, but actually relaxing. So again, within the first couple of visits, you should see some change. And then within the first couple, couple months, you should see changes where now you're able to do yoga again, or you're able to walk the five miles that you wanted to walk, or you're able to go on a hike. So it's important to make sure that you are noticing changes. And what I say to patients too, or on podcasts is that if you don't, if you aren't seeing a change, then first talk to your pelvic floor physical therapist about that. Then if it doesn't seem like you're getting anywhere or where you want to be going, then it may be appropriate to get a second opinion. Some practices do free phone consultations, like we do free phone consultations. So a lot of times I'll talk to patients and I'll ask them, like, what exactly are you doing in the pelvic floor physical therapy? And if it doesn't seem to be the right approach, then I may suggest that they look for another pelvic floor physical therapist or come to New York City. I'd love to. Yeah, I think that's important because I think sometimes, especially with endometriosis, like so many of us are just doing so much trial and error. It's like, okay, let me try this with my diet. Let me try this kind of exercise. Let me try this and that and this and the other thing. And, you know, after a decade, it's like the list of things that I've tried is super long. So I think sometimes it can feel like, okay, well, I tried pelvic floor physical therapy for three months. I didn't see any improvement at all. 
cross that off my list and move on to the next thing. But I think it's really important. What you said is that not all practitioners have the same experience, the same skill level, the same, we'd really need to look for a practitioner that is focused in endometriosis that understands the kind of pelvic floor dysfunction that comes with endometriosis versus something like being postpartum or something like that. I mean, their treatment approaches would be different. So I think it's really important that while it always is really tedious to get a second opinion, it could be really important to get a second opinion if you're not seeing results with your pelvic floor physical therapy, which I guess leads me to my last question, which is how do we find a good pelvic floor physical therapist? How do we know that they're a good pelvic? Like we know you're a great pelvic floor physical therapist because you've written multiple books on the subject, especially with endometriosis, heal pelvic pain, beating endo. As you mentioned in the introduction, like you've been doing this for 20 years, you hold a variety of prestigious positions, but what about like the pelvic floor physical therapists that I find in my hometown? Like, how do I know if that's a good pelvic floor physical therapist? I do think you have to do some research, but there's certain websites that you can find a provider. So the American Physical Therapy Association Pelvic Health Academy, they have a find a provider. The International Pelvic Pain Society, which I've been a big part of for many years, so it's near and dear to my heart. They have a find a provider. I know they were having some technical issues for a little while, so hopefully that's fixed. As well, Herman and Wallace is a big postgraduate educational forum. And they have a find a provider as well. And it's all, those are all free websites that you can find a provider. But I do have to say, take the extra step and maybe ask, try to do a bit of research to see either if you can find out how many patients or how often they're treating pelvic pain conditions, ideally endometriosis, or call up and ask to speak to a physical therapist or even ask an admin how often they see pelvic pain patients and endometriosis. So that, that's really important because you do want to make sure that they have some experience. But on the flip side, I've also had patients that haven't had anyone in their area, but they'll have like a really good massage therapist. They can't do the same things, but some do work on the abdomen. They do work on the back and the the lower extremities. So that at least can help turn down that pain dial that we've been talking about. But ideally finding an experienced pelvic floor physical therapist. And how much experience do you think, like how much is a lot of experience? Ideally, 50% or more of their practice is treating abdominal pelvic pain and endometriosis. We obviously hear, we see a lot of patients with endometriosis, but we also see patients with irritable bowel. We do see male population as well as other genders. and, And we see peds as well. We see pediatric patients with bladder bowel issues. So as long as there's they ha- are very, or they're familiar, very familiar, ideally with the pelvic floor, pelvic floor physical therapy, then that's ideal. But again, if you don't have anyone in your area, you could try to start with, you know, someone that has less experience. What I found that you do have to be careful with though, is that 
you go for a couple of months, you don't see much change. And then you see, then you feel that you failed pelvic floor physical therapy. Whereas I even know in New York city, there are practices that kind of do pelvic floor physical therapy. And then unfortunately the patient feels like they failed pelvic floor physical therapy. Then they come to us and they're like, Oh, okay. This is what we mentioned earlier in this podcast about all the various things that you, that the PT can help you with that that's ideally what you should be looking for as well. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Stein. I'm going to go ahead and put those resources that you said in the show notes today for anyone listening for how to find the pelvic floor physical therapist. I'm going to be using them too, to find my physical therapist. So I just want to thank you so much for coming on our podcast. We're talking to all of us today about the pelvic floor, about like finding hope about the different modalities and treatment approaches that are available. These conversations are so important and I'm just really thrilled that you could come on and you could lend that time. Cause I know you're really, you know, you are very renowned figure in the field of public floor physical therapy. So when you said yes, I was like, Oh my God, she said yes. <laughs> and I was jumping up and down holding my pelvic floor and I was like, Oh, okay. Calm, calm. But thank, thank you so much for coming on. We're also going to link in the show notes today where we can find you and how we can get in touch with your practice. And I know you have a great blog on your beyond basics website. Will you just tell us briefly where we can find you maybe just quickly about your books. I am going to link them all, but it's always nice to hear it come from the person themselves. Sure. Our practice is in New York city. Um, we have two offices called beyond basics, physical therapy. And we do, we are pretty active on social media at beyond basics PT. And I didn't mention this in the podcast, but I actually, in the heat of COVID or in the midst of COVID, I started a CBD company as well. So wellness by nature are CBD products that, and it's not for everyone, but it can help quite a bit with pain and inflammation. So I have a salve that you could use. I do have a lubricant that you can use as well that can help with, with pain in the genital region. And we've gotten great feedback from it. So check that out as well. Wellnessxnature.com. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's been a true pleasure and I really enjoyed meeting you. Yeah, thank you so much. I'll link your company there as well for the CBD. And just to the final thing I want to say is I just want to say thank you for just really caring about patients with pelvic pain, you know, for writing books, for educating us, like, just thank you. Cause you know, in addition to practicing, to being a practitioner, I know that coming on podcasts, doing talks, writing books, all of that takes so much time, but it's a really great way to make all this knowledge just more accessible to the general public and to spread the education that this is an important component of, you know, trying to heal pelvic pain. So just really want to thank you for your dedication and commitment to this community and to people like us with endometriosis and IC and fibromyalgia and like 30 other conditions that, you know, we all have listening. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for doing this podcast. It, it's helping a lot of patients. 